to Kingdom Tuesday. Yes, it is. Okay, to Kingdom Tuesday, and uh, we're continuing on uh, with this thing I'm doing every Tuesday, and I uh, have been doing for a while now, just starting to interact a little bit with John Frame's book um, concerning the Escondido theology, which is his response uh, to two kingdom theology, which is really, in some ways, I've said uh, before, very helpful in that it covers quite a spectrum of topics, and I think they're all kind of uh, more or less relevant. Um, the book itself, as I've said, um, you know, I don't feel like you need to go and buy it or anything. In fact, it's a bit of a mission to purchase it. Um, they don't have it on Kindle or anything like that. But anyways, we, we've looked at the law gospel distinction. We've said amen to that. He accuses two kingdom people of being serious law gospel people. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, and then the, we've we looked at the two kingdom thing, obviously, which he's uh, grouping into Escondido theology. And that's that's kind of gave that a slot of its own. And then we had that helpful discussion with um, Chris just to think about two kingdoms and Lutheranism, and I'll come back to that uh, down the line, but um, just moving on for now. The next big thing really is the post-millennial, amillennial thing, I think. Uh, he, he sort of classes it as the Escondido theology being categorized by, um, by the view of, or how we view God's rule and blessings uh, over all of life or or um, whether that is even possible under a two-kingdom rubric. And then that kind of blends into either post-millennialism or amillennialism. He says two-kingdom guys are uh, amillennials on steroids. And, you know, i, I got to be honest, I'm kind of super amillennial, so maybe that's true as well. But uh, it, it traces it out really interestingly. I mean, I've, I've long sort of been interested in uh, Abraham Kuyper, um, he would be the Kuyperian or Neo-Kuyperian view would, would kind of stand as antithetical. Uh, it would be the opposing view to two-kingdom theology, reformed two-kingdom theology at least. And um, a lot of that comes from, obviously, Abraham Kuyper, who was uh, one of those uh, monumental figures in the Netherlands. Uh, I believe he was the professor, uh, one of the professors at uh, Free, the Free University of Amsterdam. Um, and, and that's still around today. Um, but, you know, he's the guy who, who said there is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, this is mine. To which, you know, I have yet to meet any um, two kingdom guy that will deny that. Uh, rather, will give a, a hearty amen to that. And, you know, it's really interesting. Sometimes you read some of the critique from a very sensitive Kuyperian perspective, uh, and I mean your critique against two kingdoms from a very sensitive Kuyperian perspective, and you know, often you feel like you just agree with so much of it, and uh, or virtually all of it, to be honest, especially as you get into his sphere of sovereignty and that sort of thing. It's like we're almost saying the same thing, um, which, you know, is helpful. It's just that when it gets near Kuyperian and when it gets, you know, the more extreme ends of, of uh you know, maybe theonomy and theocracy and, you know, those sorts of ideas, um, that's when you really start seeing the the clash with um, with two-kingdom theology. And maybe even what Frame does do, although he lands on the wrong side, in my opinion, what he does do rightly is, is draw out the fact that your eschatology will matter here as well. Not so much your view of culture, but your view of why that impact upon culture is ultimately eschatologically important. So, for example, uh, 
you know, um, you'll have a post-millennial belief. I mean, again, often there's a huge overlap with amillennialism. You'll have uh, a lot of post-millennial guys believe, as amillennials do, that the millennium is, in fact, a symbolic way of speaking of the time between the first and second coming of Christ. And, you know, that's fine. Amen. Uh, the problem is more on the extreme side where you have this view that, um, uh, you know, at some point in the future there is a millennium, and that's prior to Christ's return. That's... Uh, that's essentially the church kind of setting up shop in, in uh, politics and culture and just just winning the day, really, kind of uh, doing to the world what Kelvin did to Geneva, um, you might say. And, and that's, that's kind of like the, the golden era of peace. You don't go to church, you get thrown into jail, and a, you know, everyone's happy. <laughs> and that's not what we're after as amillennialists uh, at all. And so that's kind of where the whole thing um, it's the road. But, you know, on the way, it is important to acknowledge as much overlap as possible. Uh, Kuiper's thought, if you wanted to go check that out, Lectures on Calvinism is the go-to there. Um, uh, again, so much you can learn from that book. He, he was a great thinker and great theologian. And um, uh, I would recommend that. Obviously, not all, all of it is going to lead you to where um, I land, though, that's for sure. Um, then uh, you have Dervier, of course, and uh, Wallenhoven, and uh, all of those guys that uh, came after um, Kuiper and sort of uh, moved him onwards. And again, it's it's interesting. By the time you get to the whole, um, you know, I think they brought it down to, I don't know, like the sphere sovereignty. They, you ended up having something like 17 spheres or something like that. And... Um, a lot of that stuff is totally legit. In fact, uh, what's interesting is that crit, uh, Frame critiques um, the Kuiperian school of thought for essentially uh, reducing the influence of the Word of God only over the 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 the, um, the, the sphere of faith. So, you know, at that point, you have something. Although there are more subdivisions to the common realm. Um, you have something that functionally looks actually quite similar to uh, two kingdom theology in that we're saying there is a um, there's this reality of, of the sacred realm which is um, uniquely um, attached to the word um, not to say as they are saying that that, that um, you know that the word is irrelevant to any other part of life I mean certainly the, the whole point there is to show its relevance and that's obviously where we differ in terms of the application there but it's just interesting to see at a structural level you're even getting you know they go it's like you have two movements in a totally different direction and yet they come so close to one another uh, it's kind of weird how you see that sometimes um, but anyways that's <clears throat> you know Hodge and Warfield and the old Princeton guys um, would really most reformed theology, I think, um, to be fair, most Westminster um, theology, you know, that I think now is squarely represented by Westminster Philadelphia, it, you know, moved along those lines of thinking and uh, the post-millennial idea and um, and some sort of Kuiperian influence one way or another. Um, and I think uh, it is fair to say the two kingdom thing has been perhaps the minority view. And that might be, you know, because... Um, as I was mentioning, as we were talking to Chris the other day, um, you know, you had with the Roman Catholic Christendom thing, I mean, you didn't really have a category for common realm, secular realms. This idea of secularity itself is, is quite recent in that regard. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting only that 
only after democracy set in and only after uh, Presbyterianism lands in the States kind of thing do, do they have to revise their confession on these points. Um, and so, you know, the reality is we're now sort of heading toward, I don't know, certainly I feel this in New Zealand, we're heading towards a, a, a pluralistic setting that you see in the New Testament. And so, I mean, there in the New Testament, you have every opportunity to see a two-kingdom scenario play out in that you've got Rome, which is in government, which is to be honored as government, which has absolutely nothing to do with Christianity. And uh, and yet Christianity is doing well and doing what it should be doing and is not of this world. And, and uh, you have the two-kingdom idea very, very clearly um, enacted there. And so, you know, I think we're, we're heading into a time, and, and increasingly so, we we are heading into a time where, where two-kingdom theology is going to be necessary. You know, we're going to see that, oh, well, actually, you know, th- there isn't a lot of influence in, in uh, government. So, you know, w- w- you know, either our theology is just not working or the promise is not true um, or, or actually this is kind of, you know, the real anomaly has been the time in between the early church period and now. Um, because certainly right throughout the Bible, apart from the mosaic um, infrastructure and theocracy, again, whenever whenever, whenever we don't have a land, uh, it looks like Joseph in Egypt. It looks like Daniel in Babylon. It looks like um, Abraham uh, making his pilgrimage. It looks like, you know, pilgrims and exiles, essentially. It looks like the New Testament, and it looks like a lot of church does now in very secular environments. Um, but all to sort of move on to this issue of of uh, eschatology and that uh, I think this is important. Amillennialism does uh, emphasize the sufferings that are coming. It does emphasize the persecution. It does speak of the reality that, um, you know, we're not to expect a, a golden age. Rather, we're to expect a time like Noah's uh, just before the flood. Um, you know, we're, we're going to stand, I think, uh, in difficult situations and be whittled down to just but a few uh, by the time the end comes. And so I think it's important to be prepped for that. I mean, of course, if, you, if you're expecting some sort of golden triumph and, uh, and, and you're expecting it in the wrong ways, you know, that, that's, that could dis- disillusion people. Um, but then, of course, you know, we're not saying that the gospel is going to be overpowered or the gospel lacks its power. And that's where the character often happens. Rather, we're saying the gospel, uh, the kingdom advances spiritually, invisibly, um, primarily. And it's, uh, it's, it, it does not lack power in that it's bringing people from the dead. And it will indeed call forth the elect. And it will lack none of its power. And the gates of hell will not prevail. But it's just that we shouldn't read that to mean something um, of a more theocratic description. Or read, read into those kinds of promises things that God did not intend. Um, which is, you know, at some level really, really obvious. Um, what's, what's interesting is that frame... Um, he relates this issue of uh, amillennialism to to how we how we see God's blessings fall upon us, and you know I couldn't help but have a little giggle here because I mean he is he's essentially agreeing with uh, a two kingdom approach while he's critiquing it. Whenever that happens, it just means the guy has not understood uh, the opposing viewpoint. So. Um, Let's see this. Um, he says, but it does does seem to me evident that Scripture does promise temporal blessings to believers. Many of the Psalms, like Psalm 23, clearly affirm this. 
Um, and he says, further, it seems to me impossible to make a sharp distinction in Scripture between spiritual and temporal blessings. Those who are saved by God's grace, which is spiritual, will certainly seek to implement God's will in their workplaces and life decisions, which is temporal. <laughs> um, those implementations can change the world and often have. Um, I mean, wow. Amen. You know, uh, have you read Horton's book? Um, where in the world is the church, along with Gospel Commission? I mean, that's exactly what he's saying. We're not saying that because because there is a, a spiritual kingdom and a physical kingdom that you don't get like any kind of physical blessing. I mean, uh, what is common grace to begin with? Uh, what is what is the reality of? I mean, of course, we're living in our bodies. Where you know, any answer to prayer is going to be a blessing. Any children are a blessing from the Lord. I mean, no one's denying that. That's not that's not part of the thing that we're debating. So it's it's just a really weird point to bring up at that level. But he, you know, he the way he's stating it there, I have no problem with, and um, I would I would totally agree. And even the way, you know, he says uh, it's impossible to make a sharp distinction between in scripture between spiritual and temporal blessings. That's where I disagree. Uh, and in fact, he does it. He makes the distinction perfectly. He says, those who are saved by God's grace, which is the spiritual blessing, will certainly seek to implement God's will in their workplaces and life decisions, which is the temporal you know, blessing. That is, that is it right there. I mean, there is a clear difference. That's not to say the one is less of a blessing or something, but it's just, uh, you know, you have to, of course, the one is temporal and the other one is uh, spiritual and eternal. So I don't know. Uh, that just seems bizarre to me. Um, but anyways, there he is. And uh, he he sort of says, listen, guys, at the end of the day, for this reason, take heed to two kingdom theology. Um, it's leading us astray. And he says God's people are rarely mentioned as pilgrims and uh, only like once or twice. And, and actually, you know, there could be this whole other paradigm. Well, you know, fine. It's only mentioned a few times, but who cares? I mean, the whole thing is connected to the whole very real. I mean, who's going to deny that the, the God's people have been pilgrims and exiles all throughout Scripture? I mean, and if he wants to argue that the Mosaic covenant is actually the norm, which many of these guys want to argue, um, and, and that we should, as a as Christians and government, try to try to prosper, and that we will live long in the land. I mean, if you if you really want to go there as the norm. Um, I mean, that's into another issue entirely. That's not just some random rebuttal against two kingdom theology. That's, that's, that's covenant theology right there. Anyway, I will call it a day. Bless you guys. See you tomorrow.